Brian McClanahan Show, episode 255. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, subscribe to my YouTube page at Brian McClanahan, where you can watch this podcast. If you want to support The Brian McClanahan Show, go to McClanahanAcademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free course when you do it, 10 Myths of American History. And, of course, I have seven courses available there for purchase, ranging from a five-lecture course on secession or the Declaration of Independence to a 54-lecture course on U.S. History to 1865. That is the... Uh, signature course of McClanahan Academy. It is an awesome class. I just released it about a month ago. And so you're going to want to get that one if you're a homeschooler. If you're not a homeschooler and you just want to have a lifelong learning course, it is a college U.S. history survey course. First half, second half's coming in the fall. So you're going to want to get both. But it's a college level course or advanced high school student. And uh, it's a great class. You're going to learn a lot. I guarantee it. It's got 18 reading seminars in it, so along with the lectures. Great class. And uh, you can find all that information on mclanahanacademy.com. Also, if you go to brianmclanahan.com, you can give me an email address, and I will give you a free ebook and a free audiobook, Forgotten Founders, audiobook read by yours truly. You get on my email list, and if you get on my email list, you get all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, if you subscribe to McClanahan Academy, you get on that email list, and you get discounts and uh, knowledge of forthcoming courses. You get the best deals on classes. BrianMcClanahan.com. That email list, you're going to find out all kinds. Of, I'll give you coupons and deals at times. So you want to get on both those email lists. I don't send you an oppressive amount of emails, usually two or three a week. That's about it. So read those, get the information, get on board. Uh, you can also support the show by going to BrianMcClanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can also buy book plates if you want to get my autograph on your Brian McClanahan authored books. And of course, you can go to brianmcclanahan.com and click on the uh, shop button, shop tab at the top of the page, check you out to get on my logo and all kinds of great stuff, t-shirts, skins for your electronic devices, stationery, all kinds of cool stuff. So go out there and support the Brian McClanahan show. Let people know. Also rate this podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Now, wherever you listen to it, rate it. Let people know you like it. More people will see it. And we'll get more people thinking locally and acting locally. Okay, let's talk about the topic of the day. And this is something that I've gotten dozens and dozens of emails about over the years, over the last uh, couple of years, in particular two, three years. And I just haven't really done anything with it because um, for several reasons, the most important being is that the administration is incomplete. But the question is, of course, based on my nine presidents who screwed up America, has Donald Trump screwed up America? So again, I've avoided this primarily because we don't know what's going to happen with Trump's four years in office. We don't know if Trump's going to get another four years in office. These are things that are unknown. Right now, um, people are saying there's no way Trump's going to get reelected. He's a disaster on the left. I mean, if you go onto Twitter or even if you read your news websites, you know, Trump's down by nine points to every major Democrat. We're in the summer of 2019. So much is going to change between now and November of 2020. We know that Donald Trump announces candidacy in June 
of 2015, um, long before the election. I remember when that happened because I was driving home from work and uh, the only only talk radio we can get around here, of course, is Limbaugh and all the major groups. So I was listening to Limbaugh driving home from work, I hate to say, but I was. It's fun to listen to Limbaugh sometimes, though, because you get fodder for this for this show and things I want to talk about. But um, he covered it quite extensively. Trump coming down Trump Town, the escalator, saying he's going to run for president, covering his speech. And I remember <laughs> the speech that Trump made where he said, look, I don't need the money. I'm filthy, stinking rich. I don't need any of this. I just want to do it. And it was attractive to a lot of people because of that, because he's this kind of outsider. He's not beholden to any special interest group or uh, political faction, political action committee. Trump was just going to finance his own campaign, and that was going to be it. And I remember there's a, a person that I know on, on social media. He was all over Trump. I mean, it, from, the, from the beginning, Trump was his guy. And I was a Rand Paul supporter. Um, not, a, not a Trump supporter. I was a Rand Paul supporter. But that particular outsider kind of view was, of course, interesting to me. And, and it's amazing that Limbaugh had the, the foresight to see that Trump was going to make a lot of headway in this thing. And I think that's because of Trump's bombastic personality. He knew how to work the media, and he knew how to present himself as a frontrunner, even if he wasn't. No one in the Democrat Party right now has any of that gravitas, what we would call it. No one. Not one individual candidate. They're all awful. I mean, Joe Biden can't even get out of his own way to make a coherent sentence or a coherent statement about anything. And he's showing his age. So that's what Trump brought to the table. The thing about Trump, and I remember I talked about Donald Trump extensively when I first launched this podcast back in early 2016. In fact, I had uh, at least two or three episodes dedicated to Donald Trump. Trump on foreign policy, Trump on federalism, just Donald Trump in general. Um, and the, the episode on Trump and federalism, it's episode 17. So here we are. And the 200, 255 on this one, right? So it was episode 17, well over 200 episodes ago. I talked about Donald Trump um, and the, the some of the positive things I could say about his candidacy at that point. And this is, this is long before the election. This was in, uh, I want to say, February of 2016. Long before the election, I was talking about what I thought about Trump and federalism. And I thought Trump would be better for federalism than any other candidate, uh, and I think at this point, you know, he was. It was clear that Rand Paul was going to be out of the race, and and uh, he was the best thing. You know, Ted Cruz had his own problems, but Trump rhetorically was saying some of the right things. Now, the question is, after three years in, because you know we've he was elected in November of 2016, so he's inaugurated in uh, 2017. We're almost three years, two and a half years in now. After two and a half years. What can we say about the Trump administration? Has Donald Trump screwed up America? Well, for those who are critical of Donald Trump, and they would say that Trump has done that, I would say that Donald Trump is a symptom of the disease. If you've read my nine presidents who screwed up America, I make the case that, and of course Barack Obama's on the cover of the book, and I know when people haven't read the book because of their reaction to it. And this happened, the book was promoted rather heavily by Yahoo, in fact. This is pretty interesting. Or AOL, I'm sorry, it was AOL and Yahoo. Uh, but I, I know that um, 
people haven't read it because they look at the cover and they see Barack Obama on the cover and they say, oh, he's going to criticize Obama. What about George W. Bush? Where's Bush? Uh, so I know they haven't read it because if they crack the thing open and they went to the chapter that's on, quote unquote, Obama, they would see that it actually begins with George H.W. Bush. And then I rip apart Bill Clinton, then George W. Bush, then Barack Obama. In fact, I say those four presidents are the symptom of the disease, which is executive government. And they're just a continuation of the same administration, the same policies. Donald Trump is no different. The thought that Donald Trump could come in and radically transform the executive branch, and, and maybe this could have happened if Trump was a little bit different, but see, there's something that's institutionally wrong with the executive branch today. There's also something that's institutionally wrong with American politics. And for American politics, it's the Republican Party. And I say the Republican Party, it's not the rank and it's not the people that are out there in the grassroots. And I know a lot of people listen to this, to this uh, podcast are Republicans. And so I'm not criticizing the people that are on the ground wanting to do the right thing, wanting to vote for people that are going to have effective change. Maybe they're interested in maintaining civil liberties and they're worried about the power of the central government. These are noble goals. But the problem is when you vote for Republicans, they don't bring you any of that. Uh, the Republican Party has always been a nationalist party. It's never really been a party interested in local government or uh, federalism. They use it rhetorically. The Republican Party um, had at one point kind of this non-interventionist streak to it. That went away. And so you've got the establishment characters in the Republican Party driven by things like the Heritage Foundation or some of the other uh, think tanks, quote-unquote think tanks out there, that push an agenda that is uh, very much in line with presidential power, in line with executive government. And so when Donald Trump comes into power, he's, he's got this institutional mess that's facing him, and he... One individual really can't change. Now, he could have gone in. I say one individual can't. He could have gone in, and he could have just uh, started issuing executive order after executive order. He issued a lot, actually, in 2017. If you go out and look at a list of his executive orders, 2017 was heavy on executive orders, particularly when he first got into office. But all of that slowed down. Um, and so the, the shock and awe, essentially, of Donald Trump coming into office was was uh, uh, was over by the end of 2017. I mean, look, 2018, even 2019, there are very few executive orders. There are some, but very few. Um, and so Trump was not going to work to fundamentally change the powers of the executive branch. He wasn't going to do it. In fact, he's continued those unconstitutional powers as a symptom of the disease, which is executive government. And we're seeing this now. We think that Bernie Sanders, if you're on the left, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris or Joe Biden is going to come riding in to save the day. And things are going to get miraculously better. And look at all the things. I mean, look, Elizabeth Warren's campaign slogan should be, I have a bill for that. Uh, we've got too many people with uh, upset stomachs uh, eating too much nasty food. Well, I've got a bill for that. Uh, you know, we, we've got, uh, take your pick of something stupid. Uh, that uh, well, Elizabeth Warren's got a bill for that, right? I mean, this is what her her campaign platform should be. I've got a bill for that. 
but all of them are going to be a symptom of the disease. So when you look at Trump, and I'm going to focus specifically on Trump here in a second. When you look at Trump, he has, and I think you could lump him into that last chapter of nine presidents who screwed up America. Trump could be in that chapter too. Now, on the positive side, I think Trump is different from, say, Barack Obama or George W. Bush or Bill Clinton or George H.W. Bush, even Ronald Reagan. But Reagan and Trump have a little more in common in that they were kind of perceived as outsiders. Uh, Obama wasn't an outsider. I mean, I know that, the, that, well, he was only in the Senate for two years. How can you say he's not an outsider? Well, he was in D.C. He had made contacts there. Um, and he certainly believed in the power of the executive branch. He wasn't interested in anything but centralized control. He wasn't really an outsider. Uh, of course, neither of the Bushes were outsiders. Uh, you could say that, you know, George W. Bush, he was just a governor of Texas. Uh, yeah, that's true. But he had been in D.C., and his family had been in D.C. for a long time. In fact, they're also related to the Adams family, who had both also been presidents. So John Quincy and John Adams um, had two presidents out of that family. So they were not political outsiders in any way. I mean, George H.W. Bush and the CIA, these, these people were consummate insiders. Bill Clinton, you can say, well, that guy was an outsider, Governor Arkansas. Uh, Clinton had been around Washington politics for a long time. In fact, even in the Jimmy Carter administration, uh, Carter was talking about this really hot shot governor from Arkansas, Bill Clinton. He was being groomed even at that point to try to come into the, and of course, Hillary Clinton wanted all that. No outsiders there. Trump really was more of an outsider than anyone because he had never held office. I mean, that, I mean, that makes him more of an outsider than anyone. Uh, and this is why people were comparing him to Andrew Jackson. But Andrew Jackson had been a U.S. senator. Donald Trump had never held office, ever. He had never been an elected official. And so that made him different and unique. Uh, we've had military generals that had that, but never, um, I mean, it had been, um, a, I'm trying to think, had there ever been anyone besides Donald Trump? I'd have to actually go and look at this. Off the top of my head, I can't think of one single individual besides Donald Trump who has been elected president who never held an elected office before. Um, I just can't think of one person off the top of my head. Now, I, I, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think Trump is that. I mean, he, he, is, the, he is the quintessential outsider in that way. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. I know I'll get comments about this. Somebody will send me an email. Well, you were wrong about this, or they're going to go on YouTube, and you're wrong about this. Happens all the time. Well, not all the time. Every now and then when I'm wrong about something, which is rare. But I do get a lot of people commenting on things uh, about how, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm wrong about these things. So um, Trump was that. I mean, so in that way, he's different. In that way, he's different. But in, the term, in terms of power in the executive branch, he's been no different than any other president. And this is the funny thing about the left and why they go bananas over what Trump is doing. If their guy was in office right now, they would be celebrating every single thing that Donald Trump was doing. And in fact, as I've said before, Donald, they should be celebrating Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a 1950s Democrat, or I should say more in line, he's a 1950s moderate. Um, he's kind of like Dwight Eisenhower and Harry Truman put together. Now, Dwight Eisenhower had his dynamic conservatism, which is really just a code word for a softer New Deal. I mean, that's all it was, and this is what Donald Trump is. I mean, Donald Trump is following lock, step, and barrel old Republican ideas on economy, right? I mean, we're talking about Republican ideas from the early 20th century. 
or late 19th century. And then the Democrats picked this stuff up during the middle of the 20th century. Franklin Roosevelt, Harry Truman, these people were talking about tariffs, and um, they were talking about uh, trade war. Well, not necessarily trade wars, but they didn't use that term. But, I mean, they wanted to have a national economy. They were interested in a robust nationalism that fostered uh, kind of a closed American economic system. It's no different than, than that. Uh, in terms of foreign policy, Trump hasn't really been what a lot of people had hoped, and that was a non-interventionist. I mean, Trump has said things like, look, Russia should be, still be part of the G7 or the G8. We shouldn't have booted him out. They should be here at the table because we need to talk. Um, he's, he's engaged in talks with North Korea, which if any other president had done this, by the way, this would have been, uh, you know, if Barack Obama had gone out and engaged North Korea, first of all, the Republicans would have gone ballistic over that at the time. Now Donald Trump's doing it well. Sean Hannity thinks this is great. Uh, the Democrats are going, no, this is just Russia. It's Russia. Uh, you know, if he had engaged, if he engages in talks with Iran, I'm sure Hannity's going, well, we got we to talk to Iran. We got to talk to them. Of course, if Obama did it, then we, what, this, guy, this guy's a coward. This guy's terrible. And this is the nature of American politics, which is why it's so stupid and boring at the, at the national level in many ways. And by the way, that arch, nasty individual, John C. Calhoun, pointed this out. The guy that everyone hates pointed out this is American politics back, back in, the, uh, in the middle of the 19th century. This is what American politics is. Um, so if, if your guy's in power, you're not so critical of it. But, you know, in terms of that, you know, Donald Trump actually willing to talk to people is, is remarkable. I mean, uh, the fact that he's engaged in a conversation with North Korea, and we can say that North Korea is probably not going to do anything but North, that North Korea doesn't want to do. I mean, North Korea is going to be North Korea. But the fact that he's trying to avoid hostilities with North Korea is, remar- is, is admirable and remarkable. But then you look at, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point out a couple of things here. There is uh, something called the president. There are there are presidential notices, right? This is something new. Well, I say new. Um, presidential notices. Uh, in terms of foreign policy, the president has assumed has assumed responsibility, or at least uh, assumed powers that uh, George Washington never would have thought that the president had. And these all have to do with quote unquote national emergency. So let me just read the titles of these presidential notices. First, regarding the continuation of the national emergency with respect to South Sudan. Now, just think about that for a second. We have a national emergency dealing with South Sudan. This is Truman-esque, right? Because Truman sold the Korean War on the fact that North Korea presented a national emergency to the United States, right? Because all these North Korean bombers were going to fly over American airspace and destroy our cities. Think about that. South Sudan. We somehow have a national emergency because of South Sudan. It's almost laughable. I mean, it is laughable. It's almost Onion or Babylon B-esque, right? that we would have a national emergency because of South Sudan. Uh, The next one, regarding the continuation of the national emergency with respect to significant malicious cyber-enabled activities. All right, that one you might could say, well, uh, yeah, we've got got to cybersecurity of countries trying to hack the, you know, trying to destroy the United States with cyber attacks. Okay, maybe that one. Okay, but then the next one, regarding the continuation of the national emergency with respect to Somalia. Hmm. Somalia. 
I mean, uh, yeah. Now, if you're talking about Somali immigrants coming into the United States and maybe causing some potential problems there, uh, possibly. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the Somali itself? Or how about Yemen? There's one for Yemen. There's one for Syria. There's one for the Central African Republic. There's one for Iraq. Uh, there's one for Belarus, North Korea, the Western Balkans, Lebanon. <laughs> I mean, look at these things. Uh, the Congo, Sudan again. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, I didn't mention. Yeah, Sudan again. Uh, Iran, Burundi. I mean, I mean, you look at these things uh, and you think to yourself, what the heck is going on here? Um, now, there is one for certain terrorist attacks, uh, export control regulations, national emergency, uh, national emergency respect to persons who commit, threaten to commit or support terrorism. I mean, you could maybe make a case with some of these things that we have to have some kind of statement on. There's a national emergency there. Um, but when you look at this list, this is this is the executive branch off the rails. This is this is the American Empire off the rails, right? And so Trump has just continued, and all of these things are continuation. You look at the beginning date of these. I mean, just pick uh, Somalia for example, uh, and look who declared the national emergency on April twelfth, two thousand ten. Let's see who was in office at that point. Mm, oh yeah, Barack Obama. The president declared a national emergency to deal with. The unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security and foreign policy of the United States constituted by the deterioration of the security situation, the persistence of violence in Somalia, acts of piracy and armed robbery at sea off the coast of Somalia, which have repeatedly been the subject of United Nations Security Council resolutions and violations of the arms embargo imposed by the United Nations Security Council. So this is a national emergency because the United Nations is upset about it. Right now, I understand if we have American shipping going through Somalia and there's pirates out there. Okay. Maybe they watch too many movies. I don't know. On July twelfth, on July twentieth, two thousand twelve. Well, let's see who was president then. Uh, oh yeah, Barack Obama. The president issued Executive Order thirteen six twenty to take additional steps to deal with the national emergency, et cetera, et cetera, to address exports of charcoal from Somalia, which generates significant revenue for. Uh, the government there, the misappropriation of Somali public assets and certain acts of violence committed against civilians in Somalia. So this is a national emergency for the United States because of what some, the Somali government is doing to Somalia. This is Barack Obama now. Here's Donald Trump, though. The situation with respect to Somalia continues to pose an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security and foreign policy of the United States. It does. For this reason, the National Emergency Declaration, or declared on April 12, 2010, and the measures adopted on the date of July 20, 2012, to deal with that emergency, it must continue to, in, in effect beyond April 12, 2017. I am continuing for one year the National Emergency Declaration and Executive Order 15, I'm sorry, 13536. Now, I haven't seen if, if Trump continued this or not, but he gets into office and he follows Barack Obama's foreign policy. This is what I'm saying. This is a continuation. Trump is a symptom of the disease, which is executive government. No different. So those that are screaming about Donald Trump need to turn around and look right back at Barack Obama. And then they need to turn around to those screaming about Obama and look right back at George W. Bush. And then they need to turn and look right back at Bill Clinton. And they need to look at right back at George H.W. Bush. So would Donald Trump be in a book with nine presidents? Would I, would I add him to the list? Certainly. Would I add the next president to the list? Absolutely. The only way this cycle is ever going to break is if we get another John Tyler-type president in office 
And Donald Trump is not that guy. When I say a John Tyler-esque president, someone who vetoes legislation because it's unconstitutional, Donald Trump just signed the most outrageous budget in the history of the United States. Deficits as far as the eye can see, trillion-dollar deficits. This thing is an economy wrecker. It is a it is uh, Ragnarok, if you want to use you know Viking mythology. It's Ragnarok for the United States. Ultimately, he's complaining about the Federal Reserve. He wants them to drop interest rates again. Don't hike interest. We're going to get a recession. Of course, Donald Trump is worried about a recession because he knows the Democrats will capitalize on that, and then he'll lose the election because Americans have a very short attention span, and they think whoever is in office caused the recession. Not understanding that the Federal Reserve would cause the recession or the spending of the government would cause the recession. It's more, more accurately, government spending would cause the recession. Uh, this is the problem. Uh, but Trump, you know, is, look, when you take this much out of the economy and you, and you use federal spending as you do, the only result from that, as we've seen throughout history, is hyperinflation and massive problems. And now we're talking about negative interest rates. We're talking, and I mentioned this in February, in, 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 that, in that, I'm sorry, that 2000, uh, I'm sorry, episode 17, if I can speak today. Episode 17, where I said, look, Trump was marginally better on the, he was critical of Yellen, um, and he, he's critical of the Federal Reserve. He's critical of the Federal Reserve now because they're not dropping interest rates. Trump wants to create a bigger bubble so that he can stay in office. The economy looks good to people who, who don't know any better. And um, we're, we're going to keep this going. We're going to keep the bubble going. That's what he wants. Whether it's good for the long-term health and stability of the United States doesn't matter because we've got kick-the-can syndrome in Washington, D.C. all the time. So um, Trump... Again, a symptom of the disease. We know the next person that comes, if it's Trump or not, they're going to do the exact same thing. If the recession, the, of course, the fear is we get a recession and then you get the Democrats who think that we need socialism to solve the economic mess and then they create more problems. And we've got Venezuela. You know, we've got a bigger Venezuela right here in the United States. So... Um, This is the and the other thing about Trump, and where I'd say that he is uh, a a a symptom of the disease is the myth of American nationalism. Um, Trump is a nationalist, and a lot of people like Trump because he says a lot of the, he says very strong things. He, he attacks the right people. He's, but look, Trump is a nationalist, and that is a major problem. Uh, he was a nationalist going in. I thought maybe he'd be marginally better on federalism. I have said that before. Um, and he actually had one executive order that had federalism in it when it when it dealt with water usage rights, which was good. Um, he's been fairly uh, sympathetic with uh, state powers on some social issues. But this idea of nationalism, and this is why everyone is angry. This is where think locally, act locally works better than Donald Trump. And solving problems at the local level is a better thing. Uh, but Trump is a, a nationalist, and so that is problematic for the United States moving forward. And when you look at 
policy, I mean, like I just I just mentioned signing the budget, the only way we're going to get some real change with executive government is if somebody comes into office and simply says, I'm not going to sign unconstitutional legislation. Uh, Trump's tariffs, Trump's tariffs, quote unquote, without congressional action are unconstitutional. We know that Trump has done unconstitutional things, but this is no different from any other president that's been in office uh, since the 1980s, since the 19, I mean, look, it's just no different since the 1980s. Uh, the last president that I think you can make a case that they should not have been impeached might have been Jimmy Carter. Um, and I know that Carter is not a popular person. I mean, Car look, Carter says some really stupid things nowadays. Uh, but but he did some, some right things. For example, he was the one that began deregulation back in the 1970s. He was the one that brought in Volcker, uh, who really saved the United States from hyperinflation. Uh, which we were hitting back in the in the middle of remember I mean if you don't remember but Gerald Ford's campaign slogan was whip inflation now win whip inflation now I mean this was a real serious problem back in the 1970s um, and of course then we got you know 20 percent interest rates on mortgages I mean it was during the Volcker years in the Fed but I mean this is the only way to stop inflation so uh, the fact is we've had some we've had some really bad executive government in the United States for the last 30 years. Uh, and, and Trump is just following that process. I mean, there's really no difference. Um, so would he be in the book? Would I consider Trump a president who screwed up America? Certainly. Um, because of the disease. I mean, he, he can't, he's not, he's not the person to stop it. And I don't know if we're ever going to get that. This is why I say all the time, you got to stop thinking about national politics. You got to turn your attention away from that. Start focusing on the local. Start focusing on the states. Start focusing on your on your backyard and seeing what you can do to affect change, and forget about Washington D.C. It's gone, it's gone. D.C. is gone. There's no reforming Washington D.C. People like to hear me talk about national politics, so I'll do it, but um, it really is pointless um, because Congress is going to do what they're going to do, and Trump is going to get in line a lot of times, and he's going to he's going to sign unconstitutional legislation. And we're still going to be left with a great big mess. So the only way is to, to change this is for the states to actually stand up to federal power and say, we're not going to allow you to do these things anymore. Uh, and this is going to take people having that think locally, act locally mentality. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show.